0: Hello, and welcome to the program, Me, Myself, and TBI. I'm your host, Christina Brown Fisher. I am a journalist and writer, but I'm also a traumatic brain injury survivor. I suffered my TBI following a motor vehicle wreck. One moment, I was pulling out of the driveway, waving goodbye to my mother in Virginia, and a day or so later, I was waking up slipping in and out of consciousness in an emergency room in Maryland, unable to remember my name. I spent more than a year in neurorehabilitation. During my recovery, I searched for answers and stories of healing and resilience. It's actually one of the many reasons why I created this podcast, Me Myself and TBI. I wanted to hear from people who'd been affected by brain injury. More importantly, I wanted to know how or if or whether life after TBI could be as good or better than life prior to brain injury. I wasn't so sure, as I tried to reclaim what had been lost following my own TBI. According to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, it's estimated 2.5 million people suffer a TBI each year. A traumatic brain injury can happen after a forceful or violent blow or jolt to the head. In short, a TBI is brain dysfunction caused by an outside force. Now, not all jolts to the head result in a TBI. Some types of TBI, according to the National Institutes of Health, can cause temporary or short-term problems with normal brain function, including problems with how the person thinks, understands, moves, communicates, and acts. More serious TBI, though, can lead to severe and permanent disability and even death. Every episode of Me, Myself, and TBI, you'll hear from someone impacted by brain injury— They may be a researcher advancing what is known about TBI, a caregiver, clinician, or traumatic brain injury survivor. Joining me from his home in North Carolina is retired mixed martial arts fighter Spencer Fisher. Spencer fought professionally for 10 years from 2002 to 2012, racking up 17 fights with the Ultimate Fighting Championship in the lightweight division. When the UFC... Known for its octagon cage fights was emerging as a serious sports competition, Spencer Fisher was dubbed the king during his 17-fight stretch with the UFC, winning Fight of the Night three times. By his side today is Emily Fisher, who is also a former mixed martial arts fighter and UFC competitor. Emily is Spencer's wife, Together, they own and operate Glory Martial Arts Fitness, a gym in the Great Smoky Mountains of western North Carolina. In 2012, Spencer's career as a professional fighter was forced to come to an end following a medical examination. Neurological tests and electroencephalography, or EEG, it records electrical activity in the brain, revealed lesions on Spencer's brain, and a spinal tap showed high levels of the tau protein. The discovery alarmed doctors. They warned Spencer showed signs of developing chronic traumatic encephalopathy, also known as CTE. CTE is a degenerative brain disease linked to traumatic brain injuries, including concussions and repeated blows to the head. CTE is also associated with the development of dementia. They can only be officially diagnosed after a person has died. But in 2013 Spencer and Emily Fisher received the medical diagnosis and warning Spencer should never fight again Spencer Emily thank you so much for joining me today
1: Thanks for having me
0: Spencer how how are you feeling today
2: uh, I'm kind of sluggish a little dizzy you know uh, it's a regular thing for me uh, for this I have ups and downs a lot but uh I feel okay just a little tired.
0: Walk me through your day. What does a a typical day look like and and feel like for you?
2: Uh, I get up early in the morning. Uh, I go to the gym to teach uh, classes from 9 to 10, 10.30 sometimes. Uh, And then I come back home. I just started running again. And uh, then I go back at uh, 4.30 and then teach classes again until 6.30. And then I come home, eat, go to bed, get up about one o'clock religiously every night, every morning and eat and then go back to bed. And I'm up usually two or three times after that. And then it uh, starts the day over.
0: It sounds like routine is really important for you, important to you. What? Why is that?
2: Uh, just to keep me focused and balanced uh, Uh, anything um, can throw me off. You know, if I have a bad day, uh, not remember someone's name, it could offset me. I have to write down my lessons that I'm going to teach. Like I just got done writing down what I'm going to teach this week. And I do it every Sunday. And then on uh, Monday and Wednesday nights, the nights before jujitsu, which is Tuesdays and Thursdays, Um, my wife and I will go through my planner and go over the moves that I plan on doing Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then I kind of wing the the basic fundamental classes.
0: Yeah. It would seem to me that teaching fighting, teaching mixed martial arts in some ways has got to be second nature to you. It's got to be, it would come come very easily. But what you're describing- It's the only thing I know. Yeah. I actually want to go back in time, Spencer, and and, and tell me, how were you first introduced to uh, mixed martial arts? Was it even called MMA back then?
2: <laughs> uh, it was called no, no Holds Barred back in the day. And uh, I lost my parents at an early age, and my grandparents raised me, and they wanted to put me in something that I could get this anger out. And they put me in martial arts, and uh, I saw the UFC when it first came on and was immediately hooked and I wanted to do that and uh, was told that I was too small to do it. They didn't have weight classes back then. And so I started karate, then boxing. And then uh, I met a lot of the former champions uh, throughout the years going through seminars. And uh, I met Pat Miletich and Jens Pover the day after Jens had won the title. And uh, they had invited me out to Iowa, and I just packed up and moved out uh, without a second thought. And uh, the rest is history.
0: So Pat Militich and the Militich fighting system produced a, a lot of uh, a lot of winners. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. I definitely want to want to talk about that. I, I, I do want to stay a little bit in, in your childhood. How how old were you when you lost your parents?
2: Uh, Fifteen, I think. 15 and 16 or 14 and 15, one of the, one or the other.
0: So, And you started, you started martial arts, uh, shortly after that. What was it about martial arts that you loved and, and Um, and did for you?
2: Yeah, I wasn't good. I wasn't good at any other sports. And, uh, you know, I was an angry child and, uh, like I had a lot of anger issues and I felt that I was good at fighting and, uh, like this point contact and uh, i just wanted to prove that i could do uh, fight, fight at the highest level and uh when i saw the ufc and i saw the gracies do it
0: the gracies are considered the first family of brazilian jiu-jitsu
2: i knew right then you know someone that small could do it i could do it and um uh, then of course they started having weight classes and I went from every weight class, like I went from heavyweight all the way down to lightweight and uh, was successful, all of those weight classes. And, and then uh, ended up making my professional UFC debut at 170, which was the lightest. War. Well, they, they brought back the, I think Sam Stout and I were the first fight back into the lightweight division when they brought it back.
0: And of course, you and Sam Stout would have quite a few bouts.
2: Yes, we had three of them. Yep.
0: Um, Do you recall when, where you were, uh, what it was about the UFC that made you think, believe that you could make a career out of this?
2: Um, I did things the wrong way. Uh, How so? Well, like um, I, I, I messaged somebody, and I don't know if it was Joe Silver or Joe Gold. Uh, back in the day and wanted to know how i could get into it and they said that i had to have actual fights you know i had to have some kind of background fighting so i would literally take a video camera to different dojos and my friend and i who was trained with me at the time with basically dojo storm we'd go in and ask if they wanted to spar and uh by the end of the class they were telling us get the hell out of there (laughs) you know they didn't they didn't they didn't want no part of that so it kind of kind of got a bad reputation because you know we didn't mean any harm by it but it was the way it was you know it was like we wanted to fight and and uh they were throwing karate kicks we were throwing tie kicks and they were like get the hell out of here you know so they're like how much technique is there in kicking someone in the legs you know they just it was just karate and we were doing kickboxing we were kind of ahead of our time and then uh I, when I started boxing, uh, my coach happened to be the referee, and a couple times uh, they were trying to build the tough man at the, as they were called back in, at, back then. And then uh, they said, "Hey, you know, Spencer will do an ultimate fight challenge. You know, no rules." And I started doing them. Uh, back here in North Carolina after I had won the the tough band contest I started doing ultimate fight challenges in the ring you know with a large audience and uh I became a big fish in a little pond and and then I just uh started going around at different seminars and training and uh, uh eventually met Pat and Jens and and moved out to Iowa
0: I do want to talk about, um, that transition, but before we get yeah. there, uh, tell me about how you and Emily met.
2: Um, met her at a party. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't remember all the details. She has her side of the story. I have another, but. Like, right, uh, well, let's
0: hear your side and we'll hear your side I, first. It, and then it, we'll it, compare. It's simple.
2: Like, uh, we, uh, I, one of my roommates, we had a party one night and she showed up and, um, uh, she was a little ch- uh, country pumpkin and uh, she got me donuts one time and uh, we we headed off and uh, she became interested in fighting and training. So we started training. She was still in college at that time and uh, she just started supporting me, uh, helping me train, training with me. And uh, we would go to the West Carolina University. They had mats out there and we ended up build our own uh, team out at Western, you know, and uh, I don't, I don't really remember. Like I was just, it was just, uh, we had it off great. You know, she was very supportive and she seen her first fight and uh, was hooked.
0: So. And you had a partner.
2: Yep. Had a partner. So,
0: you you mentioned uh Gracie Jiu Jitsu. Uh tell me yes. about your idols. I I, I, I know Yeah uh,
2: Hicks and Gracie is yeah. my all-time favorite. And uh luckily I, I you know I went to a seminar as a kid with my friends, uh saw him just absolutely go through. I think it was like a hundred people, like one after another, and was just amazed that the guy could do it. And I actually Uh, To back up, uh, something I left out, I actually took the Gracie Challenge when I was 18. I drove from North Carolina, uh, my girlfriend that I had at the time, and I drove from North Carolina to California to fight in the Gracie Challenge that they had out there. They used to have a challenge match to take on all comers to uh, show that Gracie Jiu-Jitsu was number one. I was going out to meet Hickson and I was under the wrong impression. I thought I was going to go out there and prove myself and they'd take me on as one of their team members or, but that wasn't the case. So I had to learn the hard way, you know, that, uh, I need to learn jujitsu. So.
0: And, you know, just to edify the audience, um, uh, if you can, Spencer, can you explain to me what distinguishes um, the Gracies in in the field of not just jujitsu, but really MMA at large? You know, pretend you're talking to someone who has no knowledge of of MMA.
2: Right. Well, the Gracies are the first ones that that brought uh, Brazilian Gracie jujitsu the way that they had learned it from Brazil and the fluidity of, of being on the ground. And, you know, we in the States had judo and wrestling, but they were fighting off their back. And it didn't matter how big or small you were, you could use leverage to your advantage. And uh, Hoist, uh, I don't think he really surprised the world. I mean, I was hooked right away, but when he won his UFC, when he fought Dan Severn. And when he choked him off his back, you know, and he gave up like 70 or 80 pounds and a triangle choked Dan Severn off his back, you know, and and giving up that much weight and size.
0: Dan Severn, the first world class wrestler in the UFC who was called The Beast and weighed more than 250 pounds, gets choked out by Hoist Gracie, who weighs nearly 100 pounds less. And Hoist chokes him out with Dan on top of him and Hoist is on his back
2: no one knew what they were looking at, you know, like, what, what is this guy doing? And it, it just amazed me. And, uh, I was like, Holy smokes, this guy can win off his back. And, uh, I was just hooked, you know, and, uh, the Gracie family for long longest time, I used to walk around and I would talk with an accent sometimes, you know, like I, I was totally Gracie, you know, Gracie, 100% all
1: the way. So.
0: And, you know, what's curious to me when you say that is when you talk about the fact that you were considered, you know, small um, to be a fighter, and that kind of fits perfectly with the Gracie style, which is that, you know, essentially size, you know, doesn't matter. So if you could just speak a little bit more to that as to, like, why that style in particular really resonated with you, and then how that ultimately impacted your own fighting style.
2: Well... Uh, I was a striker. I boxed uh, I boxed a lot and uh I had a mentor that,
0: that take your time
2: I had a mentor that uh, take your time. I'm gonna
0: get some water myself.
2: But uh, I had a boxing coach that I lost uh, two years ago.
0: Of course, of course. Um, and boxing coach Reggie Holland was a two time Golden Gloves boxing champion. He mentored up and coming fighters and hundreds of youths. He died in
2: 2020. Can, right. I, can I give Emily the headset? Head absolutely. Quick.
0: Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah. Take your time. Yeah. Okay. Hey. hey, Emily. Hi. You know what, Emily, I got to hear your side of the
1: story of how you guys met. <laughs> um, I was DDing for some of my friends. I was a freshman in college at the time. and uh, What's DDing? What's that? Designated driver. Oh, <laughs> I should know better. <laughs> and uh, anyhow, we had gone to this. They took me to this one party. Anyhow, we ended up leaving because it was kind of chaotic and we ended up going to uh this house party that they knew and it was Spencer's buddy and um anyhow we get there and I see Spencer and you know he had a reputation in town because he was the known fighter and had won all the tough men and I remember seeing him and looking at him going this is the guy they're talking about I thought he'd be bigger <laughs> and uh anyhow we're all hanging out in the kitchen and he would come up and start hitting on me and you know it was complimenting my eyes and things like that so I started kind of you know, laughing at him and anyhow ended up you know he ended up passing out somewhere and we ended up leaving the party and I ran into him I don't know three or four days later maybe out in town driving around and I started heck, you know, heckling him about, you know, how he was acting. He's like, he got embarrassed. He's like, please don't tell me what I said. I'm like, oh no, you need to know this. So I was teasing him. And anyhow, I ended up going, I was running to the gas station to get some stuff. And I asked everybody if anyone wanted anything. He pops up, he wants donuts. And I'm like, okay. So I go in there and I find like a pack of little Debbie donuts or something and brought it to him. And he's like, these aren't the right ones, but these are still good. I'm just like, he liked the chocolate hostess I found out so powdered it was love donuts. it was
0: love it was love ever since
1: sorry. yeah <laughs> so I I want him with donuts he's That's still a right. sucker for donuts he's very particular about his donut yes <laughs> and then how did you get into MMA was it I mean, did you have any interest in it before? Oh, yeah. I was always interested in boxing. I didn't really, wasn't familiar with martial, like the MMA fighting, but boxing and wrestling was something I was always interested in. In my senior year in high school, I decided to go out for the wrestling team and I was the only girl that did it. So I get out there, you know, did the brutal training to get into the team spent was like two weeks or so. And I remember I made the team and I was all stoked and excited about it. And I went to my boss at the local department store I worked at and I showed him that I made the team and I was giving him my wrestling schedule. And I also was the starting pitcher for our softball team. And he told me, he goes, well, I'm glad, congratulations on making the team. However, I cannot work around your wrestling calendar and your softball. And he's like, and you don't have a future in wrestling. You have a future in softball. And of course I graduated high school and never played softball since and got involved in MMA. So, you know, so I had to quit the team because my dad was the kind of guy it's like, you know, I had to help pay for my car insurance, pay for my gas, you know, making me be financially responsible at a young age. So, (sighs) Still regret that one, but,
0: <laughs> but then you came as... in, You but then you
1: meet Spencer and and I instantly wanted to start showing me things. I was like, you know, teach me, you know, the kickboxing. And then he started teaching me jujitsu and, you know, and I fell in love with it instantly. I love, I love the competitiveness of it. And like the, the way it was more like, human chess is the way I always explained it with jujitsu, especially, but being able to use leverage in my body and ankles to create the right, if we're striking the right amount of power, make sure I was doing it correctly or with jujitsu, being able to control someone else on the ground that was bigger than me.
0: Yeah. I'm curious. um, I'm curious though, Emily, you know, how do you go from, I really enjoy, you know, fighting. I really enjoy this sport to, I want to compete at a professional level. How
1: did that transition come for you? I don't know. It just did. I remember I was, when I turned 19 is when I had my first amateur boxing match and I wasn't planning on competing. I had gone with Spencer to like a little local tough man in Maggie Valley that he had signed up for. And we were with his boxing coaches, Reggie and Walter. And uh, I remember there were some, I'd been boxing for maybe three months at this time and so anyhow there were some women in the crowd that were calling out you know someone to fight them because they were going to fight each other they were related or friends I can't remember mm-hmm. and Spencer's like well you should do it and I'm like I don't know so I remember asking Reggie I'm like well what do you think he could and he told me he goes now Emily he's like it's up to you what do you think he's like but what are you going to regret the next day and I was like oh <laughs> so I decided I was like all right I'll regret if I don't try this so you know, I signed up and ended up having my first amateur boxing match that night. Wow. And I knocked the girl out with a left hook. Spencer filmed it. It kind of looked like the Blair Witch Project with the camera going everywhere. But I think the hardest punch I took in the fight, i had hit myself at one point because she had put me in a headlock and I was trying to hit her with hooks in the body and I missed and I punched myself in the side of the head. And I was, so I was like, ow. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, <"You> hurt. <laughs> so... How's Spencer doing?
0: How, I'm sorry, go ahead. Finish your
1: thought. Finish your thought. I was going to say after that, I was just that adrenaline rush and excitement. I was like, oh, I like this. So,
0: yeah. how's Spencer doing now?
1: He's better. You ready? Yeah. Okay.
0: okay. Thank you. Thank you, Emily.
2: Okay. Sorry about that. No. Just, no. That's, a, that's a really hard subject for me to talk about, Reggie. So, I know. He was my mentor and was my best friend.
1: And uh, Mickey and Rocky
2: relationship. Yeah, we had a Mickey and Rocky relationship, so. But uh, he is the one that uh, told me that, you know, if I didn't get out of here and pursue my dream, that I'd live to regret it. And, uh, you know, either I did it all the way and went for it or uh, sat here and waste away. And it would be the only way other than military to see the world. And, uh, that was very important to me and, uh, for him to tell me that. And, uh, every, since I made a pro, I had him come out and he would always corner me in all my fights, you know, and, uh, like, he was a big part of my life.
0: At that stage, is there any discussion, any thought about the the danger, the physicality of being a professional fighter?
2: I, I didn't really... I really didn't think it'd be anything other than superficial. You know, uh, I you always heard the term punch drunk, but like uh, that mainly was related to boxing and, or to football, you know, in the later years that came out. But uh, but no, it's like, uh, I don't ever recall. And I'm sure I had so maybe several throughout my career, but I don't recall ever being dizzy the day after or having any major headaches until my UFC fight with Hermes Franca and uh, we can get to that later yeah. on but uh, yeah. but uh, yeah so I just picked up and um, followed Reggie's advice and uh, moved out to Iowa and uh, made a go at it and I fought it the Tuesday night fights that they had out there and uh was successful in all those. And like I said, I went out there at 225 and I they kept telling me you're too big for this, weight class, drop weight class. And I happened to move in with uh Tim Sylvia, Jens oh, wow. Jens Pulver was just moving out yeah. as I moved in, uh, Kelly Wiseman, Jason Black, that were all known names, you know, well, Tim hadn't been he wasn't sitting in the big show yet. But we got there on so the Certainly,
0: time. some of the most successful and then yeah, fighters. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, yeah, When my teammates, or my roommates. And uh, so, like, uh, we worked, I worked at a nightclub uh, with the guys bouncing, and uh, it just uh, worked out that at my schedule, and I'd get up in the morning, and uh, Jeremy Horn. Uh, would use me as a, a dummy. You know? Yeah,
0: and and Jeremy Horn, a former King of the Cage champion, he fought in the heavyweight and light heavyweight divisions.
2: You know, I'd go to all the practices and he would demonstrate the moves on me and eventually invited me to participate into the advanced classes. And uh, I jumped in and it, it all worked out. So.
0: And when did you, you know, do you recall that, that that first bout that that first you know crack at that ufc yeah oh yeah
2: yeah yeah Tell i remember that, that. It was, yeah it was it was my dream i i called my family uh to my family that uh were back here at home they thought they could watch on tv because i told them it was going to be uh on a fight night so they got a house full of people to watch but i didn't know there was preliminaries back then and the preliminaries <laughs> were getting shown on tv And I called back home and told my one and my great aunt said, we watched the entire show and you weren't on it. And I'm like, yeah, I was. And, and of course I had family that were out there that witnessed it, but um, it was my dream come true. You know, everything that I ever, and I won, you know, so that was uh, icing on the cake, you know. And uh, they told me I didn't know anything about the guys fighting until like the week of. You know, they just told me. My manager told me I was fighting a miniature Benally Silva, and uh, I knew who that was. And uh, but uh, I believed in my my striking skills. My my teammates were world champions, and uh, I was hanging with them. So I I knew that anybody they put in front of me was not going to be as hard as my my teammates.
0: And at this point, are you at um, Militich? You, you, yeah. you are, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Let, let's talk about that, the Militich yeah. fighting system. Um, mm-hmm. The camp is considered one of the most successful in MMA history and has produced several world champions. Patrick Militich, a,
2: a former- at, at the time, yeah. At the, I'm sorry, I didn't
0: mean to cut you off. No, no, no. I, I just want to, um, just for to edify the audience, Patrick Militich, retired mm-hmm. MMA fighter. He was a former sports commentator. Um, right. the military fighting system, as I said, you know, will produce or has produced a number of, uh, world champions. Every. This was your, this was your group.
2: Yeah. We were the number one team in the world. when I, when I went there, we had every belt in the UFC except for the 205 belt. And then, uh, Jeremy Horn, uh, owned that in the, uh, other organization. So, um, King of the Cage. So uh, the 205.
0: But let's talk about that. What did it mean to be training in this environment under that system?
2: I was more nervous for a Monday and Wednesday night than I was for any of my fights. You know, we had Rich Franklin in there, uh, Jens Pulver Jason Black, Pat Militich, Matt Hughes. Rich Franklin
0: is a three-time MMA world champion. Pulver, also known as Lil Evil, was an UFC lightweight champion, an undefeated kickboxer and boxer in pride the Japanese MMA promotion company. Then you have Jason Black, affectionately known as the Black Legion, another veteran of Pride, UFC, and King of the Cage, and of course, Matt Hughes, who is a former two-time UFC welterweight champion. He's been inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame and is considered one of the greatest MMA fighters. And these were the fighters you came up with? All of you training under Miletic?
2: I mean, you name it, the top of the top was in that gym and to go out there and spar with those guys and, uh, and make it through a night, you know, like, uh, I had my nose pushed across my face, you know, um, I'd call Emily, you know, the first week I was there and like, I don't belong here. And she'd say, give it one more week. And then the second week go by and I'd say, "I still, you know, these guys are kicking my ass.
0: Why did and, you uh, believe that you didn't belong there? Because at this uh, point they, you'd had a few bite you'd had
2: a few fights. Oh bites yeah, in your body. yeah, I had I, I had uh, several fights by this time. But like uh, the intensity of the training, you know, uh, you know, five five minute rounds, you know, and it wasn't just hitting pads or lightly sparring. It was a fight, you know. We were taking each other down, and if you got put on the ground, you get put on your back. You were getting beat up. I mean, it was no holding back. You know, if you had a fight coming up, you needed to, to show your uh, you're worth there. And we had, you know, at Pat's place, we had hundreds of people that would, you know, want to be part of the team and they had to get through us, you know, they had to get through a Monday or Wednesday night to show that they were capable of of sticking around. And after like the eighth week I was there, I remember Jen's pulver telling me, so you're going to stick it out. Huh? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm here for good. So then the beating stopped as bad as they were and uh eventually i started giving the beatings myself you know and uh i became one of pat's uh doormen you know so to speak you know when you came in the door you had to go through me and jen's you know if you were a smaller guy if you were the bigger guy you had to get through rory or some of the other guys you know but uh we were kind of the gate holders for that gatekeepers for that gym
0: are there any you know looking back now, Spencer, are there any concerns or regrets about that particular style of, of, of training?
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, yes and no. Like, uh, we had a lot of people now do it as train smarter, not harder. But in our era, we didn't know about that other way. We didn't know what there was any other way other than to fight. The only way you get good at fighting is fight. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, like, a Monday and Wednesday night, you know, you, you were in for a fight. So,
0: what if anything could be different? Because when you say train smarter, not harder, how how are you training smarter? What changes well, about the training?
2: Well, uh, I wasn't familiar with the Dutch style of kickboxing, you know, then, and to where they you can uh, get nasty and and beat each other up, or you can hit each other's gloves as opposed to hitting each other's head, you know, and you can hit them full out, you know, the combinations. Sometimes we preset the combinations so, you know, it's coming and and you can hit each other's gloves. Now you're getting wrecked with your leg kicks, you know. We wear shim pads and gloves, but as opposed to beating each other in the head, we'd hit each other's gloves, you know, and then fire back a combination um, as opposed to just rock them, sock them, you know, and just taking shots continuously to the head, so.
0: The UFC at that time, and some might even argue still today, but definitely at that time, it you know, wasn't necessarily kind of like the, the household name that it is today. It was a very Wild, Wild West. And I'm just curious if you can explain to me what that was like, if you can kind of paint the picture for what it was like to be um, a fighter trying to get on the ticket.
2: Yeah, well, first you, first of all, you had to make it onto the team. You know, like you had to be accepted as one of theirs. You know, one of Pat's guys. And in order for you to do that, you had to you had to fight. You know, you had to be able to fight. And and just because you got a broken nose or a black eye or a cut lip or you know broke your hand, that didn't matter. You know, like you had to stick it out. You know, if you're one to fight the UFC, you know they, these guys are not going to go easy at you. They're going to come at you hard. So uh, our way of fighting was in your face and. Um, put the pressure and beat you up before you beat me up and it was that way every Monday and Wednesday night you know so sometimes it was three 12 minute rounds you know in groups of three or uh three or like uh groups of three and, and three five minute rounds you know so like you uh, sorry you do groups of three and like you do two t- two five minute rounds and then you'd set out and then you'd come back in and do it again so they'd alternate us out and, but uh it was, it was UFC's rules, you know, except for elbows. Unless you had elbow pads on, then you could elbow a guy. But but um, I recall times that – I don't know how many times I looked around and seeing guys get drug off the mat, you know, unconscious, you know. So only to try to bounce back up and get back in, you know, right after they were knocked out to try to show how tough they were.
0: And what about you, Spencer? I mean, you you had a lot of injuries. I mean, we're obviously right. here to talk about brain injury, but you had a lot of other physical injuries. Can you just walk me through some of those other um, orthopedic injuries that you suffered?
2: Yeah, um, how many injuries? I I've had several lacerations. Uh, I cracked my, broke my leg in one of my fights. I broke my hand. Um, several cuts uh, lacerations uh i have a cadaver bone in my my oh, neck oh. i got, i got a buckle on my right eye uh, i had detached retina and they told me if i wanted to continue fighting that i would have to have a, a, a buckle put on my eye so and oh and i had a hip replacement as well so
0: do you recall um spencer because we talked you you spoke a little while ago about you know not necessarily Feeling dizzy after a fight, but at least in the early stages of your career, do you recall which fight it was where you you you, you definitely got rocked and, and you knew yeah. something was off?
2: Yeah, uh, whenever I was in title contention to fight uh, Sean Shirk, I had to fight Hermes Franca, and the winner of that fought Sean Shirk at the time, who was the champion, I uh, fought Hermes Franca, and uh, he uh, TKO'd me, and uh. Like It was the first time that I knew that something was wrong. Like uh, It was almost like a movie. The fact that I don't remember getting out of the ring. I don't remember showering. I don't remember any of that. I remember coming to in the stands, watching the main event. And I, I told my wife, I said, I have to fight. What, what am I doing? Here? She said, you already fought. And I'm like, no, 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 I got to fight. And arguing with her and she was pulling my arm for me to sit down because I was so convinced that I had a just Nothing made sense. And um, I, uh, she said, no, you were, you were knocked out. And I'm like, what? And uh, he knocked me out. And she said, yeah, you didn't go off your feet, but you, you were stopped. And uh, I still didn't realize how bad it was until the next day when I had to fly home. I tried to walk a straight line and at the airport and uh, I couldn't. So, and I haven't been ever since then. So, and what,
0: that was what year like was that? 2007. 2007. Yeah. Did you notice other changes besides in the immediate aftermath of that fight? Did you notice other changes after 2007, My, after that fight?
2: Yeah, I had started having impulse controls uh saying things, uh um, my temper, um, like uh I would explode over things, things my uh attitude started changing. Uh I started getting emotional. Um, other times that I like I'd be cold stone faced, but then certain things would upset me that shouldn't upset me. And uh uh, I started becoming uh, having an addictive personality, you know, that was not in me, and uh, just did a lot of stupid things that I normally wouldn't do. Like and, what? Um, like I, I got, I got hooked on uh, pain pills um, at one point. Like um, I had a, a a rotator, I had a, a problem with my shoulder. And, uh, a teammate said, Hey, take, take two of these. And I didn't even know what they were. And he just said, it's like, it's like uh, Tylenol, you know? And, and when I say that, I'm not trying to say I was naive. I, I knew it was pain medication, but, but, uh, when I took them, it, uh, gave me energy and like, I didn't hurt. And I'm like, Holy shit. You know, I, I can, I can perform. I felt that I was running just as fast and it then it got to be bad that I was eating a lot of them. And, uh, I started, I had the best fight in my career and uh, I was eating, taking those. I had a prescription for them and, uh, but I was abusing them, you know, so.
0: Did you notice how it was impacting your relationship with other people or did this feel very internal? Uh,
2: no, I, I realized that I was doing stupid things or, and I would say things that, that were hurtful and uh, not realize I was, you know, if i did say something i i'd blow it off you know like they're in the wrong and uh then after a while uh reggie my boxing coach made a trip to iowa and because uh, i went i went and answer his phone calls and he came up and and uh sat me down and talked to me it was like hey we need to look at what this is doing to your pocketbook and I'm like, what? And uh, when I realized the problem that I had, I that was it. I stopped, you know. And uh, that was just into that. But it took him driving from North Carolina to Iowa to to get me uh, get me straight again. So what did
0: what did he mean by how it was affecting your pocketbook?
2: Uh, I was spending them. I was I was getting a prescription for them and then when my prescriptions were out i was buying them for friends you know like I, I was actually buying them and then uh but like i i never never did it. i only ate them i never did anything else you know like but I, I would eat a lot you know and uh i felt like it gave me energy you know to where a lot of people might fall out pass out slobber or drool like not me it, it hyped me up and uh it had the opposite effect on me as it does a lot of people. But I the biggest thing was I wasn't hurting. You know, like uh, I had a torn shoulder and I could work right through it. And I felt faster than I ever had been in the past. And uh, I put on, like I said, the performance of my life, you know, while, while I was taking Vicodin.
0: This is 2007. And right. th- th- this is when you first noticed how a fight is affecting you uh, cognitively. Right. What happens next? because you're still fighting,
2: yeah, I'm still fighting uh, and then uh, I started fighting for the wrong reasons, you know, uh, you know, I was down to fight anybody, but then it became about fighting for fighting for my family, you know, like uh, everything changed once Emily and I had our kids, you know that um you Know, like if, if I don't fight, you know, I was the main breadwinner, you know, in our relationship, so I had to fight, so everything became uh different. You know, like uh, if I had a cracked hand, if I had a uh, cut in my eye, I had to fight through it because that's the way I fed my family, you know. So I, I just had to fight through it, and um, that's what that's what it was. So,
0: and explain to me, uh, Spencer and our audience, because I don't think a lot of people understand, you know, the pay scale right right, in the ufc i think it's in the nba nfl nhl and mlb uh they receive about 50 percent or more of the of the revenues um but mma fighters in contrast get paid yeah so so please explain explain to me what it meant to be a ufc fighter and like how do you get paid
2: yeah so uh back then when I was fighting, uh you, you get, so it's the same as it is today. You get um, your show money and then you get that same equal amount if you win. So it doubles if you win. And then we made a lot of our money off of sponsorships, you know, and this is when the UFC still had sponsorships and I made more money off my sponsorships than I was making my actual fight. So um that was that was a huge deal, you know, like uh to fight and to win. And um once I started realizing I was having some difficulties, you know, it was I was also getting older and I had to, you know, what else was I gonna do? Because like this is the only thing I've ever done, really. You know, I've had small jobs, but it nothing significant, but like I had needed real skills to, to do something else, you know? And then, uh, now with my, uh, head injury, like, uh, I can't tell you what I did yesterday, you know? So it's, uh, uh my long-term memory is good. Like, uh, I have no, pr- I can remember my very first phone number. I, what's crazy is, uh, I can remember the unsolved mysteries phone number. And I don't know why that stuck with me all this time, but I can still remember that. But, uh, I have to ask her or somebody else sometimes, like, where's my phone number? But um, these, of these things started coming up. And uh, then you get to the point that you're like, well, do I really want to fight anymore? You know, these things were happening to me. But it's all I knew. And that's all I know. And uh, so the fighting was like I had to fight, you know. But the love for it wasn't like it was when I first started.
0: You know, so. so by 2012, you know, five years now after right. that, that bout where you don't even remember the fight uh, 2012 right. um, you're at a routine medical examination, correct? Um, a, a routine pre-fight medical examination. Uh, tell tell me what happens.
2: Uh, I don't remember exactly. Uh, I just remember I started missing like, dates and stuff like what day it was what floor we were on like simple things you know like uh things i never paid attention to but like uh
0: do you remember which fight this was for which um what this medical exam was
2: no i don't whatever my last one on contract was oh eve edwards eve Eve edwards was who i was supposed to fight and And so you're you're
0: supposed to fight edwards but as part of a routine uh pre-fight medical examination, you go see... UFC medical doctors, correct?
2: I uh, I seen a neurologist. You see and, a neurologist, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, but what prompted missing...
0: what prompted seeing the neurologist? Because was this was this normal that you would no, see a neurologist yeah. before uh, every fight?
2: When, no, no. But when you get to be a certain, we call it the oh, old six. man test. You know, like when you when she hit a certain age. I was thirty six and had to do the old man test, and uh, because of a, a EEG test that came up. Uh, false positive or false negative whatever it was so i had to see a neurologist and um i just started missing too many of his questions you know simple questions that i that i never ever thought that i have a problem with remembering you know like but i i had no clue what day it was what the day was what floor we were on uh i didn't know the doctor's name like uh silly like simple things that we take for granted every day like i i just had no clue so
0: do you remember what that felt like for you
2: embarrassed i was embarrassed and uh i i didn't know what dementia was i didn't know uh what any of these terms were you know i thought i thought dementia was parkinson's when you shake and now i'm aware of these things but i wasn't then and uh I, I was like, I don't I don't do any of that stuff that you're talking about. You know, I was trying to argue because I had to support my family, you know, like uh, not, like I told my wife, I said, if I don't fight, how are we going to survive? You know, and uh, I told her, like, because they were going to send me to different neurologists. I, I don't remember how many I saw, but I saw quite a few. And I told her, I said, if you don't help me d- pass this test, you know, then we don't eat. You know we can't survive and uh she was on board at first and then i started missing too many of them and she wouldn't help me out anymore you know and this is why we were at the doctor's office and uh the doctor kind of tricked me and uh tried to tell me to walk down the hallway and hop on one leg back but i swerved or stumbled or something i don't remember what exactly it was but he told me that my balance was shot he just he couldn't uh, pass me. So that led to me dealing uh, with the fact that I had uh, uh, possibly CTE, you know,
0: so. So I just want to, I just, I, I guess I just want to get a little understanding here. Um, you're seen by a neurologist and um, you don't pass the neurology exam, this old man test that you have to take, um, prior to a fight, once you turn 36. And when you receive the news, your instinct is to find a neurologist that will pass you. Right. Right.
2: And I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but like, uh, I was asked by somebody like, do you want to fucking fight or not? And I said, of course, you know, of course I do. And uh, like, all right, well, we're going to send you to this neurologist and they're going to pass you. And, and I had every expectation of passing, you know, and, uh, but that was whenever Emily, she was helping me. And then I was just missing too, too many that she wouldn't help me anymore. And then like, uh, she had been documenting stuff that I was doing at home, you know, like uh, putting stuff up in the wrong places or not paying attention to where I was putting things, and that uh, all came out, you know. So she couldn't, she couldn't deal with the the damages, the, the damage that was done already, and wasn't going to hide it, you know, looking out for my well being, so.
0: How do you when you when you share the story with me, I'm I'm curious to know, how do you feel about your 36 year old self being told that, you know, your brain is damaged and you still want to fight? You still want to get in that cage? I, yeah,
2: I get- uh, well, it was coming off uh, like I was coming off a loss to Sam Stout, which was very close fight. And uh, I was going to retire after that. And then I got uh, the bonus for fight the night for that fight again. And uh, they offered me a fight with Eves. And like I said, it's going to be a great stand up war. And that's what I was looking for. And uh, I, I started training really hard. I brought in training partners from out of town. I brought all training partners back in and I was hungry again, you know, cause no one wants to go out on a loss, you know, and I was training. Uh, I was trained train just as hard as I ever trained for a fight. I got my weight down, you know, I- like way lower than it normally was, you know, for the past, other than the past couple of fights, you know, I was hungry again, motivated, and it was devastating to have someone tell me he- that I- I- that was it, that it wasn't just that I couldn't fight anymore, that I, that I wasn't, uh, the same person that I used to be before fighting. So
0: I think that that's probably one of the most powerful takeaways, Spencer, um, is, and it's the reason why I do this, the show, to be honest with you, is that when our identity is so closely tied to what it is that we do, whatever it is, and then that's stripped from you, how do you define who you are? How do you? you know, take the next step. So you're saying that, you know, when they tell you that you're not fit to fight for you, you're also hearing that you're not fit to be you. You're not fit to be Spencer because Spencer right. is a fighter. And if you're not a fighter, then who or what are yeah, you? Who
2: are you? Exactly. And a lot of people say that they're like, oh, you know, you're, you're still more than that. You know, you're, you're this person, you're this person, you're a father. But that didn't mean anything to me. You know, my identification was, you know, the ultimate fighter, you know, the the guy Dana said one time in an interview that uh, it, it hurts me to watch. But so when I think of the word fighter, I think of Spencer Fisher. And that will stay with me for the rest of my life because to have the president of the UFC say that about you, you know, there's nothing bigger than that in my opinion, you know, like, uh, cause I really think highly of Dana, you know, like, um, uh, he really put me in spots, you know, I, I did it myself, but he, you know, he's the one that ultimately had the final say, like, yeah, this fight makes sense. Let's do this fight. And, uh, like, uh, he was nothing but good to me the whole time that I was, you know, part of the organization, but that's who I was, you know, I was the, the ultimate fighter and, uh, I was a small town guy that, that made it, you know, that lived my dream. And, uh, now you're telling me that not only can I not fight anymore, but you're taking away that identity altogether. And, uh, like, uh, I still, I still wasn't accepting the fact that I had, uh, long-term damage. And then I took my daughter for a checkup one time and, uh, I got her to the front counter, cause Emily usually does this stuff, but I took her to the front desk and uh, they said baby's name and date of birth. And I looked right at her and I started crying cause I couldn't I couldn't tell you her name or her, her date of birth or anything. And I start calling my wife, and like, hey. And then it came back to me, I'm like, right, November 7th, then uh, cura nova. And, and it came back to me, but like, I'm like, holy shit. I, I really have some issues. And um, it just it just started building from there, and like uh, I stumble, you know, when I walk. Uh, like uh, now, over the years, I can really tell the difference in the person that I am now to so the person I was. Like, uh, not only is my physical uh, ability changing, my uh, over my over, overall way of life is is completely. Uh, different, you know, like uh, things like I watch cartoons, with my kids, and I'll cry over that, you know, and then, like, I'm supposed to take mood stabilizers, and, and memory medicine, and all these things, but I, it makes me feel like I have no empathy when I do take them. And then when I don't take them, I'm over erratic, you know, so like, uh, I feel medicated all the time. I feel like I have to be medicated in order to function. And uh, I hate it. I absolutely hate it and I've had the absolute lows of lows before and uh like uh I can't I can't remember my students' names, you know, and uh it's bad. Like, you know, you don't think much of it until you're in the spot or trying to have to do a presentation or talk or show something and I completely go blank, you know, and I have to go over to my sheet and look at my sheet and thank God all my students are aware now, but uh here recently, I've been having uh, these uh, episodes that I have been getting very sick uh, or cold sweats. I'll break on cold sweats, almost pass out, but I project will puke, you know, and uh, the doctors, uh, they thought it could be liver related. And now they're ruling all that out. And it's telling, them they're trying to start leaning more towards my brain injury, that it's all related to the brain injury. Which, uh, yeah, that's what I'm 46 now, but uh, I can only imagine five more years from now, you know, and the quality of life that I'm going to have. And um, for my, my daughter who's five years old, you know, like uh, I want to be around mentally and, you know, physically to be around for her when she graduates high school. And uh, these things are scary you know, because of my way of life is, is like, um, shit.
0: You mentioned, you mentioned Dana White, um, president of the UFC. And, and you say that you feel as though he's done right by you. Do you feel like he's doing right by fighters in general?
2: No, no, I, I can't blame that on him. Like, um, they, were paying they were paying me money uh to do appearances uh whenever i first found this out uh,
0: so this is I after attended. so this is after 2012 2013 yeah is, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Is, whenever okay. when now
2: when i was diagnosed uh,
0: okay
2: I, I they kept me on the uh, on the ufc to uh, to do appearances and stuff and uh we wrote to them because i only did a couple of them and uh i was worried about that because i i always want to earn my worth, you know, like I want to work for what I'm getting. And we sent several emails out, you know, saying, hey, you know, put me to work, let me make me do something, you know, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I know fighting, you know, that's the one thing, I don't care how injured I am, I can look at you anywhere across the room and tell you your left heel needs to be off the floor. I mean, when it comes to that, I know that's, that's who I am. That's what I know. And I feel like I can I could be useful in some sense of that, if if at all possible, but uh, they, uh, when they sold the company, that was, that was the end of the, the covering, the, anything, you know, the medicals or payments or anything. And I haven't heard a word from Dana since, so.
0: Do when you look back on, on, on that period of time, because you're saying roughly 2012, 2013. Um, that's when you're going through these series of medical evaluations and definitive determination that fighting is no longer an option for you. And then from 2013 to roughly 2017, you remain on the UFC payroll, um, and, and you're basically an ambassador, right? For the UFC, um, the idea is that you're to promote, um, the sport, uh, right. looking back on that, do you see that support, that financial support as doing right by you? Do you see that s- financial support as a wink and a nod to, you know, please don't discuss what the sport has done to you?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh... You know that, uh, yeah. I I I think now looking back on it, unfortunately, it was kind of you know just keep your mouth shut, you know, and let's not make this a big deal. And then uh, we had talked to the the lawyer uh, one night on our our actual our anniversary. We were out in Vegas for the fights, and uh, we discussed it with the lawyer because I had uh, one of my teammates that was under the same. Uh, contract kind of stipulations I was I'm not gonna name any names but uh he told me that to expect my walking papers that they're selling the company and uh we specifically brought that up in the, the meeting that we had and they were like no that's just hearsay and I believe I don't remember how short the time after that they they sold the company and we're like what what now and uh they said we're going to honor your contract until it runs out and then you're on your own you know, and uh, that was the most disheartening thing to me because I felt that I'd been, um, know oh, uh, one of their top guys. You know, like uh, I, well, I was a UFC guy. You know, I felt that I'd done more than enough. You know, like uh, blood, sweat, and tears. You know, and then I mean that in every sense. I was, you like, built. You helped body, to build yeah.
0: UFC to what it yeah. is today.
2: Right. Right. I I put on some great fights, and I always. A strive to put the best fights on, you know, win, lose or draw. I try to give it my all, you know, and uh, and and I knew, like, with the type of fighter I was, I always wanted to go out on my shield. I didn't want to lose by decision. I wanted, to, you know, if you're going to beat me, beat me, you know. I that was the type of fighter I was, and uh, I think a lot of fans enjoyed my fights because of that reason, you know, because I left it all out there, and I honestly now know that I left a piece of myself there you know, a lot of, a lot of myself there. And, uh, now it, it doesn't just affect me, but it affects my entire family.
0: What sort of therapy support, what sort of things have you been doing to try to kind of just, you know, stem the in- inevitability, I guess, uh, of this?
2: Well, I, I, uh, I have, uh, a bunch of, I have, uh, a couple of students that I always, for, I always call them my hippie friends, but, uh, my students, they're always put mushrooms, like uh, the mind, the, the, what is it called? Psychedelics? Lion, li, no, no, lion's mane. No, but uh, I have uh, one of my old uh, friends, well, I've never actually met him, but he was sending me uh, psilocybin uh, gummies that I felt that were actually helping me quite a bit. But like, I haven't taken those in a while, but uh, everybody around me said that I see more upbeat and more positive while I was taking them. So I need to take those more. Um, But uh, I just try to live every day, but like, uh, I try to take as all the vitamins I can now. And um, so it's nutrition
0: and and exercise.
2: Well, yeah. Well, the exercise is something I'm getting around back to because I've been very slack on that for the past two years and put on a lot of weight, especially after my hip replacement. And, uh, so I had that, but now I've been, I just ran three miles the other day. So I'm getting back on track, trying to get back to it and rolling again. Um, then one of my former instructors, a genius guy, he, um, made this game and it's called play attention and you play it with your brain. So, uh, like I will, I, I try, if he watches or listens to this, he'll be like, he needs to be doing more, but, uh, uh, it, it breeds my brain waves. And so I put this wristband on, I look at the screen and if my attention, if I can focus on the thing, I'll collect stuff or I'll build stuff with just my brain and, uh, and it shows my test results at the end of the, of the game. And I can go back and look through all my tests and see how far I've come, if my tests are lower or higher. And uh, yeah, I can see how it's helped me in the way that I've also been able to add more classes to my to my gym, to my my work. You know, like uh, uh, I, I can just tell, like, uh, when I do well in these tests and, and stay active with them that I'm able to, to uh, take more on in my gym, you know, which is, which is overall is really good. Just I don't stay consistent anymore as much as I should on the game, you know? So, but uh, like, I think I need something more to stimulate me, you know, but uh, I, I think one thing that's helped me a lot is playing us playing the the guitar, you know? So I'm not great at it, but uh, I, I, I really
1: enjoy it.
0: And what about the gym? Do you find yourself um, warning, cautioning uh, some of the the people at your gym who maybe are looking at you and your career and hoping that they too might see UFC glory? What do you say to, to the next generation of um, potential fighters?
2: i've had a horrible experience with that like of course being uh you know i was very uh i wasn't very open-minded to open this gym back up you know we're in a small town but uh i it's basically basically nine to five people and of course you're gonna get the guys who want to fight and um I try to push them away from it, and uh, they see what I go through. What do
0: you tell
2: them? I, I, I tell them, you know, well, they see what I go through. They see me vomiting. They see me, like, having to fall, and, like, sometimes I have to lay down. Yeah, they see me break out in cold sweats. They see dizziness, um, backing into things and not being aware of my surroundings. And, uh, like, I, I tell them, I'm like, this is all from fighting. Every bit of this is from getting hit in the head. And uh, I had one student that was doing well, and uh, yeah, I have a, three of them that are. No matter what I say, they're going to pursue the fighting. Just like if if I was younger and someone told me this, well, you're one in a million, you know. Like, what's the chance that happened to me? So, uh, I went to a fight. And he caught me in the corner, name and he and he got knocked yeah. out worse than I've seen in years, and. Um, he ended up uh, just he just lost bowel control. Uh, they he couldn't remember was he had three blade, brain bleeds, uh, vomited everywhere, could not keep it together, was telling wild stories, uh, and now they have this boxing event coming back up. And he told me he's going to do it again. And I'm like I can't I can't support you in that. And he's like, well, then I'll quit. And I'm like, well, then you got to do what you have to do. But I can't, I can't support you with that. And he keeps telling me one more coach, just one more, you know, I'll do it for you. And I'm like, no, don't do it for me because that's selfish and I, I don't want you doing it. And then I have another student who does have promise in this, uh, in this career. But I told him that I could not take him there. I I couldn't consciously take him to that next level. And I sent him to another gym. Because I just don't want to be, uh, I don't want to be responsible for him.
0: Wow, that's 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 really that's really a powerful thing to to say and do to say no uh, to to a fighter to an aspiring fighter. Do you wish in some way that you had had someone in mm-hmm. your corner telling you no to, to uh, stop?
2: I did, I did, I did, uh, but uh i didn't listen also you know my my boxing coach reggie told me it's time you know it's time to walk away you know and uh my last fight he said uh, before we walked out he said this is your last fight go out and fight like it's your last fight and uh, like uh i lost but uh i felt that it was my better performance i had in you know two years prior to that and uh he he told me it was time to, to move on to, to the next chapter of my life. And um, I had planned on doing it. And then I got the call from the UFC saying, hey, we got this fight for you. You know, like, uh, it's going to be a stand-up fight. You know, you know this would be a great fight for you. And I was 100% down for doing it. And I was motivated again because, I, you know, he scared me. You know, like uh, uh, those type of fights really got me motivated and really pushed me to train and start eating better and and, and running and doing everything I was supposed to do like I was when I first started. So, uh, yeah.
0: I I saw a video with you and uh, Hicks and Gracie. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Uh, tell me about how did that, how did that come? I mean, that had to be. I, amazing I, t- for you t- yeah
2: it, like i i don't know all the answers to that like my wife kept telling me you need to get in shape you need to get in shape and i, and I was like what is she talking about and like i, I had a hip replacement and then i needed to get covid tests i'm like i'm, I'm fine what are you talking about and, and she wouldn't tell me what what this was about and then uh like i, I was going to go out to california with my students and because uh, he's a big jujitsu player and it's really good and uh, and she's like, uh, well, while you're out there, I'll just let you know you're going to train with Hickson. And, and I was like, what? You know, I'm like, I, I couldn't believe it. And that was my dream come true. You know, like he, in my opinion, is what a martial artist should be in every sense of the way, like the way he lives his life. I mean, I don't know the guy on a personal level, but from everything I've ever watched him, I've never heard of anybody speak negative of him and he's never been beat. And, and like like four hundred and fifty or something, like. Um, and I tell people all the time, if someone would dispute that record, then they would come forward, and no one's ever came forward. So like uh, he is like the greatest of all time in my opinion, and it was a dream come true. I just I got a message from him the other day. So
0: you went from being a teen who idolized this man mm-hmm. to twenty. 20- 30 years later you're rolling on the mats with him
2: it was amazing yeah and he showed me just how little i know you know (laughs) but uh, the the great thing about him is not only does he teach you yeah about fighting but he also gives you inspirational quotes about life and and it doesn't matter my disability or whatever you want to call this you know that there's ways to work around it and uh still live, live, live a meaningful life, you know, and, uh, like the man is just amazing. Like, uh, I'm a little squirrel girl when it comes to Hickson. So my daughter always jokes with me, you're just mad because he's not your dad, you know?
0: So, but, uh. Well, Spencer, thank you. Thank you so much for your time and and just sharing your story.
2: Apologies for earlier, like the certain things, like as I've gotten older, you know, I'm a really emotional person now and, uh, like good or bad. I don't know which one it is, but, uh, like I, I'm just, uh, if I had to tell anybody that's going to continue to fight or that that's your dream to make sure that they have uh, a supportive family and uh, a background and to know when it's time to quit and walk away. So, and, um, I hope that my message gets out to somebody that, 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 that maybe might be on the fence about doing this or, or going back to school or doing something else. I would say definitely do something, do something else. I mean, um, I don't know if I would change anything, um, because, uh, the circumstances I got to see the world and meet people I'd never meet and made relationships that otherwise I never would have been able to, to have. And, uh, I wouldn't change that for the world. So, um, Just hopefully they know when it's time to walk away.
0: Thank you, Spencer.
2: Thank you.